Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Dave McKeown is the special guest on today's show. He's the founder of Outfield Leadership, author of The Self-Evolved Leader and the sought-after keynote speaker, leadership coach and business growth advisor. But before we get a chance to speak with Dave, it's a Leadership Hacker News. We're going to turn our focus on having a light-hearted bit of news today. If you've ever missed the bus or the train or hit the snooze button many times, we asked some of our listeners about the funniest and craziest excuses for being late for work. This list of funny excuses is not exclusive and we certainly haven't validated it, but it's funny nonetheless. So join us and listen in. So one of our listeners, we'll call her Sally, was invited to a birthday party. Now Sally and her colleagues have an hour for lunch usually, but on this day her co-worker asked if they'd cover for her as she was off to a third birthday party. Sure, she replied, but just be back by 1.30pm. On returning late to work, Her response was, the third birthday party was my best friend's dog and he got out and we had to find him. Hmm, interesting one. Our next guest, and we'll call him Alan, he's an IT manager responsible for 36 programmers, a billion dollar company, and Al in his spare time raises llamas, apparently. Alan's excuse for showing up late was a fact his llama gave birth last night. Now even funnier, he didn't even seem to think that this was a problem. Sick kids, funerals, they can't be avoided. But when mentioned to HR, my llama gave birth last night. I saw that would have been an interesting input into the data system. And the strangest, yet honest, email that anybody has ever sent to their boss is from one of our listeners called Michelle. Her response to her boss was, I love heavy metal music so much. The email read, Hi boss. I was waiting at the bus stop waiting to go home yesterday evening after work when I bumped into a lost Lithuanian heavy metal band with a crate of cider. After walking for several hours to help find their destination, I got a little bit tipsier than usual and I'm very sorry but I won't be able to make it in today. I hope this is okay. Can you just imagine how the boss might have responded in that situation? The reply was, okay, I wonder how that panned out overall. So if you do have any stories, insights that you'd like our listeners to hear, please get in touch. Dave McKeown is the CEO of Outfield Leadership. He's the author of The Self-Evolved Leader, Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in the World That Refuses to Slow Down. Dave, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Steve, it is great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So for folks that haven't met you yet and haven't got into your work, which they'll have an opportunity to do through our connection, how did an Irish lad end up in Laguna Beach, California? <laughs> I, I think I just got on the wrong plane one day and it landed. I was like, oh, this is nice. No. 
Um, you, you know what? I think growing up in, in Belfast where it rained every single day, I knew that there was um, there was somewhere in the world where the sun shone a little bit more. And um, I had a, a great opportunity about 10 years ago to move over to the States, first of all, to Massachusetts, uh, to join, actually, funny enough, the family business. And then just as part of my own personal journey, I met a wonderful girl who's now my wife called Paris. And uh, at some point, about six, seven years ago, we decided to trade in the snow of Massachusetts for the everlasting sunshine of Laguna Beach. I can't think what the driving factor was. (laughs) 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 But I have been on the east coast of the US when it has snowed and it's been minus 15 degrees centigrade and understand that. It's funny, the, the very first time it snows, you, you get really excited and you think, this is brilliant. And then you realize that this is your life for nine months and you have to dig your dig your car out every morning. It's not so fun. Yeah. Doesn't snow much in Laguna Beach, though, right? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I don't know if it's ever snowed in Laguna Beach. So what was the backstory in business that caused you to end up leading outfield leadership? So I started my career many moons ago back in the UK working for Accenture, uh, which I'm sure you and your listeners are familiar with, huge global IT and services company, uh, and, and really enjoyed it, um, uh, enjoyed understanding what business was all about and how consulting worked and what leadership was about, what strategy was about, and um, very good initial start to my career, but always felt that I, I was somewhat of a... Very, 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 very small cog in a, in a huge machine and um, wanted to get the experience of, of actually working more closely with leaders and leadership teams um, to help them really drive through change. Uh, and so I had a great opportunity to to join an organization called Predictable Success, which was started by my father many, many, many years ago. And um, uh, Predictable Success is an organizational growth consulting uh, and leadership development company. Uh, and I'm Worked with him for about four years or so, really got an opportunity to see what it meant to to work very closely with leadership teams, particularly of fast growing businesses, to help them scale uh, and decided that that was the sort of work that I loved doing and wanted to do for the rest of my life. So about five years ago or so, stepped out of the family business and into my own and set up outfield leadership and have been doing that ever since. Awesome. And what's the focus of the work that you and your folk at Outfield do right now? Uh, at the minute, we're doing an awful lot of work of really trying to help leadership teams reset their strategic growth plans. You know, the last year or two, 18 months have, have thrown out, ripped up pretty much everybody's um, uh, growth plans, no matter how hard hit or well particular organization or industries done as a result of the health and economic crisis. We're, we're, we're all in a position where we're trying to essentially rebuild from where we're at. So I've been doing a lot of work with leadership teams, helping them to essentially start from the ground up, which is to say, look, given the circumstances and the situation that we're in, who are we as an organization? Where do we want to go? What is our vision for a better world? And then how do we actually begin to start to take steps to get there? So it's it's um, it's this type of work that I enjoy doing the most. Uh, and so I've been fortunate and blessed to be able to to do that right now. And since the pandemic, it's fair to say that any strategy that was in place prior to January, February of last year has got to be rewritten, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's a single industry or organization that hasn't been forced to rethink what they were doing. You know, there are some industries for whom last 
year, 18 months has been that great boon. You know, you look at um, companies that offer software as a service or virtual meeting um, uh, uh, software, uh, Amazon. You know, there's a ton of organizations for whom it's been it's been great from a business perspective. But most of us have really um, uh, struggled um, to get a foothold on, on what's coming next. But even for those organizations for whom it's been uh, um, all things considered uh, a year of growth for them, Every organization is in a position to, to rethink what is coming next and, and who we want to be and, and where we want to go. And so I don't I don't I, I can't imagine there's a single organization for whom their strategic plan from last January is is it remains untouched. Yeah. I think everybody's doing some some massive rethinking. I agree. Yeah. And as part of that rethinking, you, know, you and I had a business that would have involved being with clients on their sites, being shoulder to shoulder and having to pivot that online. And you, you've done a perfect job of demonstrating how you can pivot a business model entirely online. Uh, so my hat's off to you firstly, but how, how challenging was that for you if it was? And what have you learned from that experience? Oh, well, thank you. I, I don't think it's perfect by any, any means, but it, it's certainly doing okay. You know, I think I was fortunate enough that about a quarter of the work that I was doing was online anyway before the pandemic. And so that gave me a, a bit of a, I, I was not flat footed, I guess, in needing to make the shift. And, and funny enough, I think that, you, you know, you take the devastating nature of the cause of it, actually just take the problem of how do we translate in-person learning to an online environment i actually really enjoyed that challenge i've always in all of the work that i've done been very intentional about creating crafting really compelling experiences for people um because it's one thing to come together and you know have a day or a day and a half together and feel like hey that was a good session but what did we really learn and, and so just starting from the ground up and saying well, how, how do you do strategic planning in a virtual world? Or how do you do leadership training in a virtual world? How do we craft an experience that, that really takes into consideration the, both the limitations, but also the tools that we have at our disposal? And I think it's been positive in that it's caused most, if not all of us, to elevate our game in a virtual world. And it means that from here on out, the excuse of, well, you know, we can't get our people together virtually, it just doesn't work, I think is is, is no longer valid. And and so I, I, I think that being intentional about crafting that learning experience is just the starting point, no matter no matter where you are. And we're going to have to do this again, probably in five to 10 years, whenever we're put into much more of an augmented reality, a virtual reality scenario for training and development, we'll have to reimagine what that looks like for that environment. And, and we just approach that challenge with the same perspective. And it's that thought around the experience that's most important, which I know you put an, an enormous amount of effort into. And I remember the old days of, you know, overhead projectors and we had to move away from those to to then PowerPoint slides. That was kind of seen as amazing at the time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we we are, uh, are the participants of our sessions. We are in a... Um, in a battle for their time and attention and, and, you know, merely bringing people together just because it'll be quote unquote, a helpful experience does not make it. So 
Um, and, and actually, if you if you look at building learning experiences for people, you've got to take them through a journey in much the same way that you would for um, for another form of entertainment, whether that's a movie or a you know, musical theater or even a concert. Sometimes, you know, people often the, the big key questions that, that they um, need to answer for themselves are why am I here? What am I going to learn? And what do you need from me to to to? To, to, to give into this session. And if you can begin to answer those stories for your participants and then start to take them on a real journey of their own learning, that's how you get to the end of a session with a, a really positive experience for, for everybody involved. Absolutely. Love that. So congratulations. Your book, The Self-Evolved Leader, has just had its first birthday. So congratulations on that milestone. Thank you. What was the inspiration behind the book? I wanted to take the work that I've been doing with leadership teams and, and memorialize it in some way, I guess, um, and, and build some, at least an initial starting point of, of a body of work. It's the first book that I've uh, written. Um, and and I, I guess in there were two aspects of it. One was slightly selfish and one was less selfish. The, the less selfish um, aspect is, you know, it's much more scalable in terms of the impact that you can have on people if they can partake in some asynchronous learning where they'll just pick up a book and flick through it whenever they want. Doesn't require my time and attention to be in front of them versus, you know, a workshop with 20, 25, 30 people. There's only yeah. so many of them you can do at a time. And so it really helped to, to, to increase or scale the impact that I can have. Uh, and then the second part, the slightly selfish one was just wanting to, to memorialize and, and, and start to build a, a body of work. Um, and also, you know, it gets to the point in the industry that I'm in where fun enough people start asking you well do you have a book um despite the fact that you know teaching and training and 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 consulting is very different than than writing for some reason we have kind of conflated the two together and said well uh, if you're going to come and, and work with us you better have written these thoughts down somewhere so that, that was kind of another sub uh, reason for getting the book out Mm, it's an interesting dynamic, though. I guess that what you talked about a little earlier around that constructing the story for people to go on a journey in, in a learning world or a leadership development world, it's probably very similar when it's you start to write that book. You still have that mindset of how do I involve people in my learning and help them on that journey, right? Oh, very much so. And and, and I think that the best the best non-fictional books have a narrative thread through them in just the same way that a fictional book would. And, you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to avoid was, you know, that old um, perspective on business books that it could have been an article or it could have been a blog post or it could have been, you know, a 12-page PDF where there's one central theme and then the author just hammers it home in 12 different chapters with a slightly nuanced version of it. I wanted to avoid that. Um, so I really did want it to, to take the leader on a journey and, and the reader on a journey and, 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 and help them build their own leadership through each chapter in a positive way rather than just saying, well, here's my, my one point again and again and again and again. And the journey that you take folk on through the self-evolved leader has three steps almost, and you call it the vision step, the pulse step and the discipline step. Maybe be useful for our listeners just to get a sense of what each of those steps mean. Sure. Happy to. Um, let me just peel a layer back or elevate a little bit uh, um, to, 
to, to, I guess, set the context for why these steps are important. Um, the overarching theme and thrust of the book is that tagline that you read at the beginning of, of the uh, episode, which is um, how to elevate your focus and develop your people in a world that refuses to slow down. And the reality is that our world is moving so quickly that our leaders are basically just going in and firefighting or putting out crises or just winning the day and barely keeping our heads above water long enough to really think about the long-term direction of, of their team. And so what I wanted to do was to give a, um, some encouragement and some very practical steps on how to elevate your focus, how to spend more time thinking about the, the, the long-term direction of your team and the development of your people. In order to do that, um, I've seen the best leaders walk through these three steps. The first one is to, to create a compelling vision with your team. And by the way, the book is written for leaders at any level of an organization, from a frontline supervisor all the way up to a CEO. So it doesn't matter where you're at, you can, you can really guide your team using it. Um, we often confuse vision in, in, in our teams um, in terms of assuming that it's wrapped up or, or it's embodied in the team leader. And, and that's not generally the case um, or I think it's certainly shifting I think we're getting more and more to a point in a position where we need to um, create with our teams a compelling vision of where we're going so that we're all bought into the journey the destination the impact that we want to have the value that we bring as a team Definitely. and once once you're able to create that with your team that gives you somewhat of a fixed north star at least for a period of time that you're working towards you can use it as a rallying cry you can use it as a, a touch point for making decisions and, and just an anchor point for where we're going and if you think about um, firefighting and being in the weeds and the tactical stuff that we fight every day, if you set a compelling vision with your team, it sets as an anchor point um, kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum for that. It always tries to help you pull up. Pull up. So once you set your vision, the, the next step is to do something that's much feels much less interesting and compelling, but it's just as if not equally uh, uh, important, which is to build your implementation pulse to get there. So it's fun to sit in a room and talk with our team about where we're going. It's less fun to sit in a room with our team and say, well, what are the specific um, uh, initiatives and experiments that we want to try? What are the shorter term goals that we need that will help us build towards that? What 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 is the meeting rhythm and cadence to ensure that we're coming back to review our progress? What's our process for ensuring that we remain agile whenever new bits of information come in? And, and most leaders, unfortunately, handle that in a very reactive way. So, you know, a customer calls that threaten to pull their business or there's a change in the market or something dramatic happens and we'll scramble to try to figure out what's going on. So I encourage um, leaders to, to build a, a proactive implementation pulse that, that kind of gets you a little bit ahead of that game. You can see some of the leading indicators coming. So you've got your vision, then you've got your, of where you're going, you've got your implementation pulse of how to get there with your team. And then the third part is, is really to build a series of key disciplines that you need as a leader to, to navigate the boat to get there. You know, it's one thing to get your uh, crew along with you, set your de destination, set all of the ports along the way. But if you don't know how to steer the ship or put the sail up or clean the clean the decks, then you're going to struggle. So I, I think that there are a series of leadership disciplines that are becoming more and more important for our leaders today. Uh, and that's the final part of the book, just, just describing some of those. I love the simplicity behind those three steps, because actually one feeds the other, then feeds the other. And right. You can't operate without either of them, can you? 
No, they and they almost all they they sort of fit together in a in a circle. You, they touch on each other, and and you, you work on one, and then you work on another, and you realize, oh well, I need to tweak that a little bit, and maybe I'll tweak that into, in order to make that happen. And it's sort of a as close to a holistic model of leadership as I as I could um, as I could uh, um, express. Sure, and one of the things that you work at as part of that disciplines and you intimated it a little earlier it's around dragging people out of the weeds mm. and getting them to think more strategically so if i'm listening to this what does that really mean um so one of the things that i think culturally we've got into um which is a little problematic is this belief that a leader's job is to know the answers to show the way or to save the day um, and that's come about for a couple of reasons. One, we've just been rewarded throughout our entire life uh, from school all the way up to first job, first promotion on being the one that knows the answers or saves the day. That's just typically how, you know, we get a pat on the back. And and secondly, it, it feels good. It feeds our ego whenever we jump in to save the day and help our team out of a pickle. Um, you know, we feel wanted, useful and valuable and needed. And so there's just a little bit of an endorphin hit as a result of that. The problem with that is that over time, your people end up developing learned helplessness, which is um, rather than trying to think for myself or even begin to um, start to work out the solution to this problem, I'll just go leave it at my boss's door because at the end of the day, they're just going to step in and fix it anyway or tell you what to do anyway. So I stop thinking for myself. And, and then on the flip side of that, the leader starts to get frustrated because they're the bottleneck because they're the more that they do it, the more they have to save the day. And, and eventually they're looking at their team saying, gosh, what happened to these people? They used to be so competent. They used to be able to, you know, um, think for themselves. And now they're also de de dependent on me, to which my response is almost always, well, you got to look in the mirror because you're at least, if not more than 50% of that equation. Where I think leaders can be really effective is to, to break out of that cycle of mediocrity, move towards a cycle of excellence, which is all about focused on where a leader truly adds value. We think we add value there, but we don't. Where we truly add value um, is in the long-term direction of our team and the development of our people. So thinking about what's coming down the pipe next quarter, next year, and, and trying to help chart a course through that whilst looking at our team and, and assessing, okay, well, where are we strongest and where are some of our development points? How do I grow this team so that eventually at some point, if I wasn't in the room, this would be a really high-performing team that wasn't dependent on me. And so that's the key behavioral shift that, I, that, that I'm trying to induce here is away from that day-to-day -day firefighting in the weeds where we think we add value towards more strategic long-term thinking uh, and the development of our people where ultimately in the long run we'll add the most value. And in order to do that, we've got to create empowerment in our teams in order for them to start thinking more strategically too. How would you go about that? It's a funny and often asked question, and we usually want to just tackle that. So how do we empower our team? Uh, to, <laughs> to which um, my perspective is always, well, I mean, we can start there, but your the empowerment of your team is going to last as, as long as, you know, it used to be, you know, depending on how good the lunch was that we served during the session. The problem is that the lack of empowerment in a team is a symptom and not a cause of a whole bunch of other stuff. We, we, we think it's a cause. And, and so we actually need to start backing it up and saying, okay, well, how do we begin to fix this? And, and first of all, is you got to, like any behavioral shift, you got to make a mindset shift away from being a, a leader that's stuck in the weeds in that cycle of mediocrity towards a leader that wants to focus on helping my team achieve our shared goals and in doing so 
so to become the best version of, of, of themselves. We start there and then work through those um, steps that we talked about, building a vision with your team, building the implementation pulse, building your own key disciplines as a leader. It's only until and unless we start doing that, that the empowerment will start coming back into our team. You can't enforce empowerment into a team. No, we can force somebody to take ownership and accountability. What we can do as leaders is create the environment in which people want to be empowered. They want to take ownership and accountability. But depending on how acute and how long we've sort of resided in that day-to-day firefighting, that cycle of mediocrity, it can take anywhere from six to 12 to maybe even 18 months in a team to really restore a sense of empowerment. And it also starts with the leader taking those steps that we talked about before people start to realize, oh, okay, that things are different now. Actually, I can, I do feel empowered now. Some of those behaviors also could be just unlearning and having a discipline of unlearning old behaviors and relearning new behaviors. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, Marshall Goldsmith, who's um, a big author and executive coach out here in the States, wrote a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And I think one of the saddest things that I see is whenever a leader gets to, you know, a fairly prominent position, maybe it's mid-level or even director level or above, but they basically draw a line under their learning and say, well, you know, everything that I did to get me here will stand me in good stead to get me to the next stage. And, and at some point, funny enough, all of those great things that did get us to, to a certain point in our, in our career actually end up becoming liabilities and, and they start to detract the value that we make. And, and I think that there are, there are a number of key pivotal points in our leadership journey where we do almost need to unlearn everything that we had learned before and, and, and uh, you know, at least just take a step, step back and evaluate what's working and what's not working to, in order to be intentional about how we need to show up to get to the, that next stage in our own growth and development. Yeah, I love that. And of course, part of us finding new ways of working and new behaviors is unlocking that creative gene that we all have. But for some reason that we seem to grow out of, or at least many of us grow out of, you call this out really as something that we need to focus on as part of those disciplines and creating that headspace to get creative. Mm. Tell us a little bit about how I might do that if I'm a leader. Well, the first thing I think is to, to realize the point that you're making, which is you know, we have, I don't know how it's, I mean, I do know how it's happened, but culturally we've sort of assigned creativity to, to people that are just naturally creative or, you know, creative geniuses. Mm. And, 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 and it's kind of nonsense. Yeah, you know, yeah. you look at anybody that's really creative and, and they'll tell you this is not something that necessarily naturally happens to me. You know, in fact, Stephen King said in, uh, in one of his books, uh, don't wait for the muse. He talks about this not being the spirit world. It's just another job and, and, and equates it to like laying pipe or driving long haul trucks. And so many creative folks out there in, in a whole bunch of fields field say creativity is just a process that I go through. And so we've got to understand that we can all build a degree of creativity. Now, we're not all going to be Stephen King, of course, but, but, but it is something in there that we can develop. Now, the thing is, if our brain is filled with our most imminent to-dos or whatever the most recent ping is on the myriad ways that somebody can communicate with me you know I think research is starting to show that we have somewhat of a finite ability like amount of processing power in our brain to really handle stuff um David Allen who's a 
time management expert had a great quote, which was our, our brain is for, um, for having ideas, not holding them. And too many leaders just spend too much of their brain cycles, their psychic RAM, just with whatever is front and center. And, and there's no way that we can address the process of thinking creatively whenever that's the case. And so we've got to find a good way. One of the disciplines I talk about is managing your attention. We've got to find a, a way to deal with that in the appropriate forum so that we can free up some of that psychic RAM, so that we can sit down and actually work through a, a process that allows us to think creatively uh, about the long-term direction of our team and development of our people the other thing that headspace gives us as well is we're able to face into the reasons why that intention gets stuck mm. you probably face into that quite a bit right oh very much so i think also just intentionality is is so important the, the because of the the fast pace and the requirements on our leaders today often a lot of the decisions that we make are just very reactive and, and we we're not actually intentional uh, about a whole range of things whether it's sitting down to, to think creatively or strategically or even just walking into a meeting uh, and one of the things that i talk about in the book is just the power of taking a pause you know we are just on this um, call and response mode in in, in our organizations and and, and sometimes the best thing to do is just take a beat and take a moment of silence and don't just go with the first thing that comes to, to mind, but actually take that silence, reflect on your intention and then respond accordingly to that. I love it. And also, if we've got a habit and a discipline that says, this is my the way I operate and I'm going to react, then that whole taking stock is a new discipline. Mm -hmm. Very much so, for sure. And and then you, you get to separate yourself out from your ego a little bit. Right. You get to reflect on, well, okay, how do I show up and what does work well and what doesn't work well? And, you know, maintaining curiosity about those sorts of things, about how you show up, allows you to assess in a much more objective light just the impact that that has without feeling the need to be overly defensive or even, you know, running through a lot of that negative self-talk that we often get ourselves. If we can remain curious about the impact of our behavior long enough to, to, to see that through, we can, we can start to see some really beneficial um, uh, behavioral changes. Of course, I guess creativity looks for solutions rather than anchoring into problems as well. Yeah, very much so. And, yeah. and so often we don't take that approach in how we view ourselves. We're not trying to solve problems. We're not trying to find solutions. We're just trying to beat ourselves up or beat a situation up or beat somebody else up because of the situation that we found ourselves in rather than flipping that on its head, like you said, and say, well, look, all, all we're trying to do here is we're just a group of people trying to make the world a better place or trying to you know, find some solutions. So let's take that positivity. Let's take that objectivity into our discussions and our decisions decisions and our meetings and how we show up so david this part of the show our listeners are familiar with this is where we get to spin a little and i get to hack into your leadership mind and of all the years and experiences you have i'm gonna ask you to call out what you think your top three leadership hacks might be okay so number one i alluded to which is um get a hold of your attention management and i think that the best thing that you can do actually is narrow the amount of inputs that come into your day-to-day uh, -day, uh, workflow uh we have allowed too many inputs and it's getting really really difficult to manage and um this you know whatever has your attention is basically 
where you're going to put most of your energy and effort. Second thing is to get really good at asking the question, what do you think? I, I think that it's one of the most powerful leadership questions that you can that you can have in your arsenal. It, it really helps bolster empowerment and, and reflection in your team and, and reduces the reliance on you. So get, get really comfortable just asking people, what do you think? And, and then thirdly, get really comfortable with, with silence. Let silence do the heavy lifting on a lot of instances. Don't feel like it's your job or your need or your requirement to fill that silence. And that, that can range in a whole bunch of situations, whether it's waiting for somebody to talk or share their perspective or whether it's giving some you know difficult or constructive feedback just letting silence do the heavy lifting can be super powerful. Really powerful that last one too, isn't it? Yeah. Because it is uncomfortable. I was on a, a Zoom workshop just this afternoon. And as a result of uh, me just sat there looking at the camera, it's just a matter of time before somebody's going to break and break the silence because nobody likes it. Yeah. But actually that's where the great discovery starts to happen. Very much so. And uh, but I think we fear, we fear as leaders that, well, number one, we feel like, gosh, this silence is lasting forever, which in reality it's not. It's probably like three seconds. Yeah. But number two, we fear that it reflects badly on us if there's silence for some strange reason. It's the leader's job or whoever's in charge of that meeting to keep things going. And and, and we've, we've robbed ourselves of that room to just let things breathe a little bit. And I think it's a really powerful skill for, for any leader to, to, to learn to be able to sit and rest in that silence for, for a beat or two longer. Yeah, great stuff. Next thing we have is called hack to attack. So this is typically where something in your life or your work hasn't worked out. It might have even been an experience that's been quite adverse in your life. But as a result of the experience, though, you now use it as a positive in what you do. What would your hack to attack be? So it was pretty tough and difficult moving away from the family business that was a, a particularly rough period of time for a whole bunch of reasons which i'm sure you can imagine family business is difficult enough sure. as it is and it was um it was definitely a soul-searching time for me I, and i was um definitely trepidatious about taking what i had learned and and trying to build something out uh on my own but i was also excited about doing it i, I knew that i could and uh, i was just talking to my wife about this the other day that i, I learned a whole bunch at, during that time of my life but i've also learned a whole bunch more since then and uh, i think i'm better I'm better at what I do as a result of some of those challenges uh, and, and also just some of the experiences that I've had in the last three or four years uh, where I have been on my own. And I, I think that it has, it's, it's, it's helped me enormously professionally. It's also helped me just personally get a, a true understanding of, of who I am and, and, and what I hope to achieve in this life. So it, it, negative situations are, are, are not always, not often not going to stay that way. And it, it's really about how you approach it and, and those lessons that you want to glean from it. It's the old adage of not the event, but how you react to it, right? For sure. Very much so. And the last thing we want to do, Dave, is take you on a bit of time travel. All right. So we're going to get you to bump into Dave at 21 and you get to give him some advice. <laughs> what would your advice to Dave be? I don't, funny enough, I don't think 21-year-old Dave would listen to um, <laughs> Dave of the future. He'd probably take one look at me and go, where uh, you go. I was um, a little too cocksure at that point in my life. You know, funny enough, I, I do think it, it would have been hard for me to take anything really transformative about life or how I showed up or 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 how I approach things because it was very 
obstinate just in my own worldview at the, at the time, which has thankfully since changed. The one thing, funny enough, I think I would have said or would have encouraged me to do at 21 would have been to keep playing the guitar. Um, I played the guitar as a teenager right up until I was about 20 or 21. I really enjoyed it. And then I put it down for 15 years and didn't really pick it up again until about six months ago. And I've spent the last six months on one hand, really enjoying the journey of trying to relearn everything that I've forgotten. On the other hand, really frustrated that I had 15 years where if I had been playing for 15 years, I'd be some sort of virtuoso now. So I would have just encouraged myself that creative endeavor to have not put it down for, for so long and, and, and just to see where I could have got to. With it. I love that. And also the whole principle of having stuff that's not your work stuff that is helping you learn new things, create new practice disciplines and stuff. There's always a parallel that you can read back to how it's helping you in the core way that you show up. Oh, hugely. And I think probably just a lesson that I'm just scratching the surface of. I think from 21 year old Dave up until probably six to eight months ago, you know, the sole focus uh, in in my subconscious and what I was striving for was all work related. I don't know whether I would necessarily have voiced it in that way during that time, but looking back on it now, it's really clear that that was the case. Mm. And that, you know, back to that old conversation was was great because it got me to some really good, powerful places. But I reached the point about eight months ago where it was starting to become a hindrance and a liability and and just exploring some of those other areas of life that 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 don't that won't necessarily quote unquote amount to anything, but you just do it for the sake of doing it. So picking up the guitar and learning a new scale or a new song or you know practicing something over and over again it it, it allows you to like you say apply that to just a whole bunch of other different areas of of your life and i mean i i i hope from here on out that i'll continue to pursue some of those creative endeavors even if it doesn't amount to anything because it does round out your perspective and in in the work that you do yeah it definitely does so for folk listening in, Dave, want to find a little bit more about the work you do and indeed maybe get hold of a copy of The Self-Evolved Leader, where should we send them? If you want to find out about what I do uh, around strategic planning and leadership development, go to outfieldleadership.com, outfieldleadership.com. And if you're interested in the book, go to selfevolvedleader.com and there'll be a link to everywhere that you can buy it. Awesome. And we'll make sure they're in the show notes as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. I love talking with you. And every time that I do speak with you, I just get this sense of energy, which is awesome in what you do. So thanks for sharing that with our listeners. And thanks for being part of our community on the Leadership Hacker podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, Steve. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker. <laughs>